Brenda is, uh, you know, in this series that we're in right now, she is what we call a tigger back uh, in that first, uh, uh, the, the first message in the series. And uh, got to love the tiggers in the world. You really do. Um, and behind here we have our prop for today, which it's amazing what you can hide back there. It's amazing. Yes. All right. Fences. Yes. You know, with fences, you either love them or you hate them, really. You know, fences can, they say, can make uh, good neighbors. Uh, They can keep the kids in, the neighbor's dog out. You know, even in some places, you can see where they've got fences lining highways to prevent the the snow drifts from blowing in over the highways. You know, so fences can be kind of useful, which actually kind of reminds me of this time when I was... uh, I'm going to go snowshoeing with my dog Reggie in the mountains of Colorado back when uh, I had my dog Reggie. And, and uh, Reggie was a golden retriever. We went up there, drove up there, middle of the winter in this road that uh, almost nobody ever uses, but they plow it anyway. I don't know. <laughs> go figure. But uh, so anyway, I went up there, and uh, before I would go up snowshoeing with Reggie, you know, I had to pull the car off to the side of the road because I didn't want some other stray car, you know, once in a blue moon come down this road and hit me, or this snowplow come back and finish the job and, you know, plow right into me. So I pulled the car off to the side of the road in what I thought was pretty solid ground, but it wasn't because when I pulled off to the side, my car sank in the snow up to the, uh, the bumper, you know. And the, the, the more that I would hit the gas, the more of a rut I would create with this thing, and 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 uh, you know, get out there and, and take a look at this thing, and I and I realized, man, I was stuck. Now, you know, what, what was I going to do in that situation when I'm when I'm that stuck in a rut? How in the world do you get out of a rut like that? I mean, I was mi- a million miles from any place um, out out there in the middle of nowhere. So, what do you do now in this series? What what we've been talking about is how in life, you know, we're calling this series "Think Differently." And in life, what happens is that we commonly can find ourselves stuck in ruts, which create kind of a sense of kind of like Groundhog Day, where, where certain patterns, certain behaviors, certain thinking, line of thinking, gets repeated over and over and over again. And it's difficult to be able to get beyond that rut or beyond what we call strongholds, like this fence here, to be able to get to our desired future on the other side. So the question is, how do we get out of the ruts, past the stronghold, to our desired future? Well, in this series, we've got as our series verse, and those of you who've been here the last several weeks might be getting to know this verse well, 2 Corinthians, where it says this in verse 4. It says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And this verse gives us a way out of those ruts in life, beyond the strongholds of life, to be able to make it at long last to our desired future. Now, for my dog Reggie and me, our desired future was up on the mountain snowshoeing. The ruts kept us from that. Our stronghold kept us from that. Now, 
Last week, what we did was we took a look at the stronghold of generational strongholds, which are things that can be passed on from one generation to another to another that can keep you locked in to certain patterns of behavior and thinking and keep you away from your desired future. And then the week before that, we, we talked about personality strongholds, where there's various different personality types. And uh, with those personality types, there, there are blessings and there are challenges with them that they themselves are things that can keep us locked into those, uh, those trenches and, and uh, locked in by that stronghold of a personality type. But this week, what we're talking about is this, what the Bible refers to as double-mindedness. And double-mindedness, basically, in a nutshell, is this. It's like sitting on this fence with one leg on either side, not really committing to either side, just simply sitting on the fence. Now, you can imagine how uncomfortable it would be to be sitting on this fence, right? I mean, this would not be a comfortable, comfortable spot to be sitting. But uh, that's double, double-mindedness. And uh, so what exactly is double-mindedness? Double-mindedness is... And if we can go to these next slides here, okay, as I say them. Uh, Double-mindedness is, for example, I want a good marriage, but at the same time, I want to keep on being selfish. I want my private addiction, and I want a growing relationship with God, competing kind of desires. I want my impulsive purchases, and I want financial security. I want my anger whenever I feel it, and I want lasting, meaningful relationships. I want my fears and anxieties, and I want emotional stability and peace in my life. These are competing kinds of things, and it leaves you sitting on the fence, unable to move forward, unable to move back, locked into this rut in life with behavior that keeps getting repeated without being able to get to that desired future. That's double-mindedness. Now, I've noticed this about double-mindedness, that when you are here sitting on the fence and you have these two competing kinds of things, what happens uh, really predictably is predictably, uh, there's, there's, we can say that there's even a law of double-mindedness that is as predictable as the law of gravity. And the law of double-mindedness is this that if you are engaged in double-mindedness where you're sitting on the fence, you've got a leg on both sides, what you're going to do is you're going to wind up defaulting to the most negative and destructive of the two options every time, okay? Which means this. When you're sitting on the fence with double-mindedness and you have selfishness, on the one side, and you want a good marriage on the other side, you're going to default to the side of selfishness, okay? If addiction and a growing relationship with God are both present, you're going to default to the addiction. If you have purchases and financial security, you're going to default to the side of those purchases. If you have anger and meaningful relationships, you're going to default to anger. If you have fears and anxieties and emotional stability and peace in your life, you're going to default to the side of the fears and anxieties, which means that we need to do something about double-mindedness. And double-mindedness is something that is there for an awful lot of us. Double-mindedness is two competing things at once. It's a stronghold that's blocking you from your desired future and keeping you stuck 
in your rut. Now, if you feel like maybe you might have some double-mindedness in there, and for a lot of us what really happens is that we are so locked into this rut and and, and double-mindedness is so much a part of who we are and been there for so long, it's sometimes difficult to even see it. But if you think that maybe you might have some double-mindedness, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, there's, there's a person that's named that uh, is somebody whose name I think is well-known to a lot of people, and uh, he faced double-mindedness. And that was this uh, short little guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 19, we catch up with Zacchaeus, where it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, a little trivia question here. Why was it that Zacchaeus climbed the tree? I mean, according to to the Sunday school song, um, because he was a wee little man, right? Okay. Um, But now, if if you look at the Scripture passage, what we will see here is that there's actually another reason, a different reason than that, why he climbed that tree. Verse 3 says this, he wanted to see Jesus but could not because of the crowd, is specifically what it says. When he came to the street, when he came out to see the parade and Jesus coming down the street, there was no one in the crowd who turned and said, oh, Zacchaeus, old buddy, come on up here. You know, I got a spot right here. You know, you can just stand right here with me and my family. You'd be able to see just great right here. You know, there was no friendly face in the crowd for Zacchaeus. All he saw was all these backs, and nobody turned to, 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 to extend him a friendly greeting. Now, before we start feeling a little bit sorry for Zacchaeus, we need to understand a little bit about Zacchaeus, who he is. It says that he was the chief tax collector, which means that he's the top of the heap. He's the one who has these you know, subordinates underneath him go, who go around collecting the taxes, and that means that the, the more that they collect... And the, the more that Zacchaeus makes, he gets a cut of everything that gets collected. And they began to collect so much that the people began to feel the ex- intense pain of uh, the, the, this burden, this tax burden that, that is unlike anything that we might even be able to relate to today. It was crippling for them. And a tax collector could, you know, kind of uh, fudge things and, and maybe cheat a little bit here and there. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke 19, when uh, Zacchaeus later on uh, converts to Jesus, he welcomes him into his home, and, and he realizes, hey, I've got I to turn things around. We can get a little bit of idea about what his behavior was up until that point when it says this, Look, Lord, Zacchaeus is speaking, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The implication is that he has cheated people, and he probably has taken money that the poor could not possibly have afforded to give, give up. So now he comes to Jesus. And he's repenting by setting things right again. But all of this happens before this, or excuse me, well after this moment when they are standing there waiting for the parade to come down the street. And the people don't welcome Zacchaeus. And they don't make room for Zacchaeus on the parade route because they don't like the guy. Okay, now what's going on with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus... I'm going to propose to you was facing double-mindedness. Zacchaeus, on the one hand, like everyone, wants meaningful relationships. But like a lot of people, I think, you know, a lot of people can grow in, in, in life and they get older and things like that and they might think like Zacchaeus. 
well, meaningful relationships maybe just aren't for me. You know, because on the other side over here, the, the, the other thing that Zacchaeus wanted at the same time as meaningful relationships was selfishness, selfish gain. And the two could not coexist. And he defaulted to the more negative, destructive one, which was the selfish gain, and sacrificed the desired future that he really had. So how in the world do you help a guy like Zacchaeus to overcome this kind of a stronghold of double-mindedness? How do you help us? Well, back to my dog Reggie and me up on that mountain, okay? I'm standing before you today, which means that obviously I got out somehow. But it wasn't easy. I mean, at first I I was focused on the things I didn't have, okay? I was focused on on the things that I should have done differently. Why did I pull so far off the road? I mean, the, the, the snowplow, another car may never come up here again. I mean, why in the world would I do this? Okay, but it's a little bit late now because I am, I am stuck there. And, and the more that I try to spin those wheels, the more I, I, it digs me in deeper into the rut and the icier, icier it becomes. So I prayed and the Lord focused me not on the things that I didn't have, but on the things that I did. Now, that, that wasn't easy because at first I was thinking, wow, you know, not only why, didn't I, why did I not pull so far off the road, but why didn't I bring a shovel? I mean, that would have been a good idea. You know, up here in the mountains, that would have been a great idea. Or why didn't I get a bigger dog? I mean, I, the dog could have pulled me out, you know, if I just got a bigger dog. And, but now the Lord is focusing me on the things that I do have, which wasn't much, by the way. I had my snowshoes, but it was miles and miles to anywhere. Uh, so hiking out of there probably was not the best option. Not only that, but once I got there, I'd have to pay a tow truck to come all the way up here to pull me out. And I had a, a ice scraper, I had that, and I had the car mats. So I began to dig myself out with the ice scraper and the snowshoes. And um, once I got down there, I was on this ice, and I couldn't still get out of there, so I used the, the floor mats underneath the tires to be able to uh, get some traction and get out of there. And I was out of there, and we were on our way to our desired future. So now how about you and me? How do we get out of our ruts? our desired future, that future that God has in store for us. We've got to focus on what we have, what, what is reality, what is really there. And first of all, what that means is this. As I said m- earlier, many times we have double-mindedness going on without even knowing it's there because we've become so used to it. We just know that the desired future that we have just doesn't seem to get there. So number one, Take the blinders off. See things for what they really are. Remove the blinders. You want a happy marriage, but never seem to get there. Well, look and examine. What negative, destructive things might be over here that you need to address? What unforgiveness might be there? What, uh, what anger or selfishness might be there that are competing with having that happy marriage? What things are there that you need to address? That's taking every thought captive, as it says in that passage from 2 Corinthians. In other words, put them in bars, lift them up, be able to take a look at it so that you can see what those thoughts are. Don't let them escape. Take them captive and examine them to determine which side of the fence you really want to be on. And then second, get off the fence. It's mighty uncomfortable sitting up there. Mighty uncomfortable. And then third, most importantly, make these desires 
obedient to Jesus. It says that in 2 Corinthians. Take every thought captive and make them obedient to Jesus, which means lifting them up, and and some things are going to be able to be obedient to Jesus and some will not. So this is the way that you can sift through them and say, which one do I want? Selfishness. Is that going to be obedient to Jesus? If it is, it's no longer selfish. It can't be obedient to Jesus. How about your marriage? Can that be obedient to Jesus? Absolutely. And the light of Christ can shine on that and in it and, and through it. So bring them into obedience with Jesus. That's what Zacchaeus did. He was stuck. He was prevented from his desired future until Jesus showed up, and then his table was full. He finally realized what life was really about. Now, in this series, as I've been describing the last couple of weeks, I'm intentionally not wrapping everything up in a nice, neat bow. Because this is something that you need to work on and I need to work on with God, okay? But what we do is we need to figure out what are those thoughts that you need to take captive? What are the thoughts that I need to take captive? Where is the double-mindedness in my life that I need to examine? And how do I take those things and make them obedient to Jesus? So I'm going to invite you now, you know, work on those things when you get home. Think about those things. Please stand and we'll pray together.